You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. Joining me this week is Endrina Maxwell, an organic farmer and food brand producer based in Malawi. She is simply one of the most inspiring and opportunistic entrepreneurs I have ever met. I'll let her introduce herself, but first, two very closely related questions this week. The first one is from a fruit farmer here in Scotland who asks how they might diversify their product range to avoid the peaks and troughs of prices that come with good and bad harvests and start to compete on quality and points of difference rather than just on pricing. Oh, is Endrina the right guest for you? The second question came in just today, but I reckon between Andrina and I, we have been asked this same broad question about candles, chocolate, gin, biscuits, eggs, peanut butter, jam, at a minimum. And it is this. I am producing a high quality, savoury snack food, very different to anything on the market. It has taken a while to get the taste right, but it is there now. Now I have to sell it into retailers who don't really know where it fits within their range. How do I go about creating customer demand and selling a new premium category when I can't yet prove that the market is ready for it? So welcome to the podcast, Indrina. How are you and where are you and how are your sunflowers? Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, My name is Indrina. I'm, I'm from Malawi. I'm based in Lilongwe. And my business is slowly getting there. Given I did such a terrible job of it, perhaps we can kick off by you uh, introducing yourself, Andrina. I am who I am because of farming. I started farming at a young age while living with my late mom. I used to sell vegetables to raise my school fees. I have a bachelor's degree in business administration. I have worked for 20 years. During the time I was working, I was helping my organization in budgeting, planning, and developing proposals for funding. I then realized that with my skills, I could do the same for my farming, hence decided to venture into farming as a business. I have learned that with passion and skills, you can achieve more. So tell us a bit about the farm so that the listeners can imagine it and um, tell us about some of your current ventures as an entrepreneur. My family is in Lilongwe along Chinji Road, about 30 minutes drive from Lilongwe town. I have 13 hectares of land. Three hectares is wetland. Part of the 10 hectares I'm rearing goats and currently have 20 goats. I have local goats crossbred with poor goats. The crossbreeding is done to improve the quality of goats as crossbred goats increase in size, hence give more profits. I use the goats dropping for manure for my vegetables at the wetland. I grow and sell vegetables throughout the year. Goat droppings is also used as part of manure for my fish pond, which currently has 2,500 fish that will be ready for sale in September and over 6,000 fingerings, which I'm planning to extend the fish pond 
and use them as seed. I have plans to have two more fish ponds and other fingerings will be sold to my customers venturing into fish farming. I decided to venture into fish farming after realizing that I have plenty of water at the wetland, that despite using the water throughout the year, using irrigation for growing vegetables, there are still plenty of water unused, hence saw it as an opportunity to start fish farming. Currently, I have four full-time workers and engage casual laborers ranging from 10 to 15 at a time. The casual laborers are women. Part of my goals are to empower women, hence I provide employment for my fellow women, contribute to promotion of development, developmental work in rural areas, contribute to community empowerment, promotion of value addition for more profit, promotion of buy Malawi product strategy, contribute to healthy living, and promote self-employment. And even end-to-end, actually truly groundbreaking for your market. Organic farming system wasn't enough. You have another new venture aimed at diversifying and extending your market as well. My current business is production of sunflower and processing the grain into cooking oil called NutriSecret Pure Sunflower Cooking Oil. This is organically grown crop which does not use any chemical and the cooking oil is pure without any chemical. This cooking oil has many benefits like rich in vitamin E, it lowers cholesterol levels, improves immunity, boosts energy, reduces inflammation, and protects body. The end product after processing the cooking oil is sunflower cake, which is sold for livestock feed. The feed improves the health of livestock, resulting in increase in weight and size, resulting in selling the livestock at higher prices. I'm also into production of popos and process them into NutriSecret Popo Jam, which is very unique as most of the processors in Malawi do not produce. The jam has a lot of benefits to human body like improves digestion, protects against skin damage, improves heart healthy, has and cancer properties. It seems to me, Andrina, that you spot opportunity everywhere and then you turn that into product. While doing my farming business, I realized that a lot of smallholder farmers are unable to venture into farming as a business as farm inputs are expensive. One of the farm input that is expensive is fertilizer. To my business, I saw it as an opportunity and decided to venture into organic manure production which increases production, is very affordable, improves soil fertility, prevents soil erosion, and it's easy to use. I had been using the organic manure for my seed production business, experimenting it for two years. Oh, I love it. You're even innovating with manure. Um, I take my hat off to your ingenuity. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Uh, most of the seeds that uh, we grow in Malawi, you apply chemicals. Now, at the, end, at the end of the day, it was contradicting to my wish because I'm thinking of organically growing crops. So it was like I'm, I was in a fix thinking of applying chemicals to my other seeds that I was producing. At the same time, I'm trying to promote organic uh, farming. And at the same time, there was high competition on seed, uh, seed production. Mm-hmm. So that people were fighting for its quality quality 
seed production. So when I look at that, the quality that, that, that we are looking at was other people were producing it with, uh, uh, with chemicals. Mine was just with organic, and then the competition was just that high. And I said, well, what else can I do apart from, you know, competing with people that, you know, the business of producing seed, it was coming so high in Malawi. Then I said, okay, let me venture into something else that I'll, it will not, co- uh, it will, it will be like within my, my, my plan and my wish mm-hmm. to produce organically. That's when I ventured into the sunflower group. I hope we'll talk some more about benefits, brand diversification as we uh, get into the questions a little bit more. But I have to ask you, Andrina, what is the driver of your incredible entrepreneurialism? While doing my business, I have learned that knowing your purpose and goal are drivers to the success of any business. I have also learned that empowering others leads to success of any business. I have also learned that information seeking helps you to reach your goals. I'm a farmer by passion. Farming is part of my life. You need to know why you're doing something and strive to meet your goals. My core purpose is to contribute and improve healthy living and status of human beings and livestock and empower fellow women. People's health improves after eating my organic vegetables my NutriSecret Pure Sunflower Cooking Oil with no chemicals that are harmful to their bodies. Fellow women are able to bring food on their table and are able to send their children to school. People are making more profits from their livestock due to improved feet. To me, I see this as my success. We'll talk about this some more in, in context of the question, but... Presumably to be this successfully opportunistic, you have had to be very close to your customers and really understand your market. In order for me to understand my customers, I have normally kept contact of my customers. I also encourage feedback from them for my products to see where and how I can improve my products. Sometimes I let my customers test my products before they buy so that they should make an informed decision in buying my products. One way I have used my customers' feedback is improving my branding. I'd like to come back to branding in a moment, but before that, I've worked with you for a few months now and it's very clear to me that you are very, very focused on execution in a way that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. You mentioned purpose earlier, and that's clearly a major driver for how you tick and how you work. What else keeps you executing at such a relentless and efficient pace? I use my goals to plan for my products. I have set out goals on how many products I will need to produce at a certain period. Based on the plans, I am able to meet my goals as I know when to do what. For example, I have a goal of achieving how many fish to harvest at a time and how many pro- how much profit I plan to make. In order to achieve this, I stock the right quantity of fish I ensure feed is available throughout. I monitor the, their growth every month. This helps, helps me to meet my goals. 
And it's interesting because the pe- both of the businesses asking their questions, and it's the same thing that we saw at the workshops we did together in, in Blantyre, is you're either competing mass production, very low quality, very cheap, slave labor, child labor, whatever, and you see it throughout the world, throughout the supply chain. You're either cheap competing mass production and cheap, or you're competing premium quality and niche. There's almost like the middle ground is disappearing. And it's quite fascinating because certainly in um, a Western European market, you're seeing all of these opportunities for niche quality products to bubble up. I mean, there must be a hundred niche gins right now, like real fancy gin, all of these different things coming through. But you're in a less mature market for that. How has your own um, efforts and your own process of trying to sell in the quality story, how has that gone down with the consumer? Well, it hasn't been that easy because uh, there are so many constraints uh, on that because people have to really understand why they should go for my product, my organically grown product, because of the benefits. Because my product and other people's product, they could sell same price or my product would be higher than the other product. And then people now in Malawi, they, they always go for something that's cheap. That's true here as well. Without a strong brand, very clear benefits and meaningful differentiators, cheap will always win out and the pressure on price will always be downwards. But then when you look at something that that's cheap but it's not beneficial to your health, then I have to, to tell my consumers, so there's a lot of work that I need to do to convince a person to get my product rather than the other because of the benefit that it has. So there's a long way to go. There are so many means that I need to do that. I'll need to probably come up with uh, some brochures that will explain more about my product and why they should come for my product, not the other. They should also understand why my product is costing higher than the other, probably, as well as, you know, let people test because I can just tell them, but they can't believe it. So Mm -hmm. probably be part of the food fairs that will be around town and probably maybe have something that I can buy so that people can test and testify why my product is better than the other. So there's a a challenge to convince a, a consumer that I can see there's a way that that can be done. And through the means that I've just mentioned, I think I'm going to get there and I'll convince people to go for my product rather than the other product. Mm. Oh, and that advice is so true. I mean, especially for the person asking the second question, the retailers themselves don't know where in the shop, what shelf to put it on. They don't, they haven't got people coming in the door asking for it. So they don't know that there's a market. I think the person asking that question has got to do exactly the same thing, frankly, as you're talking about there. They've got to get it out to food fairs and farmers markets, and they've got to get it out in small, similarly minded retailers and and, yeah. and markets like that so that people can actually love it. And then when they love it, they're going to start asking shops to stock it. Um, it's a lot easier to respond to demand that's already coming through the door than to try to persuade a retailer from cold to take a chance on you. Yeah, and, and also I think the other way is uh, getting testimonies from the people that have used the product. 
what do they say about the project? And getting that as evidence that can be shared to other people that it's real. Other people have already benefited from the projects themselves. Do you see that you potentially have um, an export opportunity as well? Or do you think that the primary gap that you're facing is a domestic gap simply because there's nobody else doing what you're trying to introduce in? There is that opportunity of exporting. You know, um, just two days ago, I visited one of the uh, a corporate that is doing the same business that I'm doing, of course, at a, a small, small scale. And they were sharing with me that there's high demand in the neighboring countries for the same product. So exporting is it's there. There's that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But then I have to convince people that are taking it within the country before I take it out there, because one of my uh, my wishes for my country to benefit as well. Yeah. So there's that big opportunity for exporting that cooking oil. And it's interesting because, I mean, one of the ladies we were working with in Blantyre had um, the egg business, the chickens, and was producing yeah. high-quality organic eggs, which had dramatically higher nutritional content than anything else on the market. And she was coming at it from a similarly mission and purpose-driven viewpoint that you're coming at it from, which is, you know, there's actually a nutritional deficiency, there's a nutritional gap going on here because of poor quality product. That's quite an interesting angle to be taking for your business. I mean, I think it's it's a very appropriate one. It's a Yet another differentiator that that you can be thinking about, and and you know both the businesses asking the questions, both questions. This is about yeah. stacking up, isn't it, and evidencing and proving all those differentiators, as opposed to having to compete on price because you're never going to win. Yeah, and pricing is just the hardest thing to get right, and it's so interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, what I find is so interesting about the stuff that you're innovating with, with the sunflower oil, but also with your vegetable production, with the fish farm, the fish production, um, every single one of those is that it, it seems to me from the outside looking in, you've looked at every, every place where there's niche opportunity, where there is demand, yeah. but there's demand for quality. And you've sort of gone, how can we move the price point up? several notches. I mean, has that been a very deliberate process and how have you gone through that? Well, uh, in terms of vegetable production, I know every family uses vegetable every day. So to me, I saw that as an opportunity. That's why I ventured into the vegetable production because I know I can sell the vegetables every day. But just beyond that, um, I I don't just think of myself. I'm also thinking of other people who don't have capital. Uh, what I normally do is I give the vegetables to those people who don't have the capital to do, I mean, to, to do business. So they, they give me back the, the, the money uh, of the vegetables that I give. I sell them on wholesale. After they sell, I make profit. They keep the profit. They just pay me back what mm-hmm. I um, I charge them for. Yeah. In terms of fish, fish is. is Everyone wants to eat fish within, uh, in town or everywhere. But then when you look at in like for Malawi, we only have um, a few places where we can get fish. So I, I said, wow, this is an opportunity as well. So that's when I started, you know, rearing the fish. 
so that I can also fill the gap that's there because I know the fish will go in whatever case and people would want to eat fish because mm. that's something that I know people like. But what you're also doing, and this is so relevant to the first question, I mean, because this is what they need to be working towards, is layering seasonal and variable products where you really can't control the cash value if that all comes at once. You're layering them on top of each other to spread that risk, to extend the season, to extend the cash flow, actually, in both directions, which is completely critical. Yes. So, yeah. Given Lake Malawi is what the second or third biggest lake in Africa, I I was shocked at the fish shortage, but also the disruption yes. at a community level that fish shortage is is having. I mean, one of the days that I was at one of the schools, you know, the older mm-hmm. the older youths, the young men, um, and older teenagers. They, they weren't there at school because the, you know, there'd been a good, one of the last nights of the season that it was possible for fishing. Literally everybody was out. Everybody's family yeah. was out. And, um, and then nobody came back. They, they didn't get any fish. And, and it was kind of the whole, uh, the whole community was on pause waiting to see if any fish was coming in. So I find it really interesting the approach that you're taking, which, is a it's kind of a closed loop system, isn't it? You've got the you've got the fish farm and the drainage water and everything. How long do you think that's going to take to get into commercial production, but also social production, where it's at the scale that it's ta- starting to achieve your social goals, really, your community goals? Well, um, it will take uh, to be fully, fully, fully there. It will take about two years. Mm-hmm. But you know, you go through different steps. You know, today you're here, tomorrow you'll be somewhere else, not yeah. just the same level. So, in, in t- yeah, in terms of like um, fish farming, obviously the first six months I'm gonna have, I'm going to harvest mm-hmm. and sell, and then start all over again with uh, uh, probably with some extension of the the fish pond. In terms of vegetables, you know, you always grow as you go, depending on the demand. In terms of the sunflower cooking oil itself, the Nutri, uh, uh, Nutri-Secret Pure Sunflower Cooking Oil, there's great demand within the country. So I know that every step I'll be growing, but I'll give myself about two years. Two years would be a better, a better, mm-hmm. uh, period that I'll, I'll get to somewhere else where I'm, I'm planning, I'm, I'm looking at myself producing over 10,000 liters, um, at a, at a goal. You know, selling about two thousand um, or two thousand five thousand fish per per you know per per uh, at one. Mm-hmm. You know, selling vegetables, plenty of vegetables at one. So those are the goals that I'm looking at. But then for me to get there, I'll have to go through different steps. But within two years, I can see myself getting there. You're really sure, and you've proven out the demand is there. Um, you, you've yeah. got the plan to do it. Um, and it's very interesting that you are investing on both sides. You're investing on, in your product, the branding, all of that stuff, but you're also investing deeply in the supply chain. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Cause it's super fascinating. Okay. Uh, in terms of, uh, uh, increasing the production of sunflower from this year, I'm engaging, uh, different groups of women to produce the sunflower for me. Or what I will do is I'll provide the seed to the farmers, 
it, it will be a contract agreement where um, they will agree on the price that I'll buy from them, and then they'll have a, we'll have a contract between us. So the groups of women, um, actually the first goal, individual groups, there'll be about 100 women. And then I'm also venturing into um, working with cooperatives, which are already established, they've got structures. I'm also going to engage probably maybe 10 cooperatives because all oh, what I'm looking at is high production of the sunflower. What are, my, my main issue is to provide seed to them because seed is scarce in Malawi. So I'll need to find seed and then probably give it to the farmers to grow for me and mm-hmm. then I buy from them who are already agree the price that I'll, 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 I'll pay for the, for the grain that they'll grow. So in that way, I see the production growing because I know I can I don't have that much capacity to produce based on the you know the plans that I have. Mm-hmm. I'll utilize other people on contract farming to produce the the, the the grain for me. I'll provide seed to them, but my main priority will be women. Mm-hmm. Then I'll they'll bring back the seed. Women. They'll bring back the seed to you at a guaranteed fair price that's been pre-negotiated, and then you'll have your means to produce the oil from there and presumably it's going to discourage people from going into direct competition with you because you've you've got the facilities and the license and all of this kind of thing yes so yeah because we will agree before i provide seed to them but then for me to, to to be guaranteed that i'll get back my seed when i give them for example 10 kgs of seed before I buy their seed, they have to repay back. And when they repay back, that seed will not come to me straight. I'll also create another group that that seed will go. It will be mm-hmm. more or less like a revolving fund. Yep. Another community will also benefit. Obviously, the first group will definitely not sell all the crops that they'll have. They'll keep some. And then probably the repayment that they'll make, I'll, I'll give it to another community, another group of women so that they can produce. So every year there will be increase of the production of the, uh, the sunflower grain. It's just fascinating because, you know, I, I've spent quite a few episodes where we've been talking about seed funding, the very early stage funding that entrepreneurs and businesses often get where they get a small cash injection. And so it's so fascinating to hear you talking about seed funding that is literally seed funding, that you're investing one bag of seeds in in a cooperative, you're getting back two bags of seeds or three bags of seeds, and that's then going out to two more new producers, and so the ecosystem just gets bigger and bigger and more robust. Yeah, because I, I think that's, that's the only way, because if, if I don't do that, it's like, it will mean every year I have to find more seeds for another community. But when it's revolving funds, they'll know that if they benefit, the other team, the other group of women who are waiting up there to benefit as well. So it shouldn't be just one group benefiting, but the, the, the bigger community should benefit from it. But at the end of the day, I'm the one to get more growing because there'll be more women producing, more groups producing the, the seed itself, the, the sunflower grain, which I will use for the cooking oil. Mm. With both the questions that were asked, being able to ensure supply to retailers and for that supply to be repeatable over time to meet demand is critical. So you're absolutely right to think of this, not just as from the customer perspective, but also in terms of meeting supply and having product available to your different channels in the volume that they need it. 
when they need it. I mean, a premium product is or brand needs scarcity, as in it's not bulk and it's not cheap or flooding the market, but it also does need to be available to be bought uh, and it needs to be available at the right time and place. Well, uh, one of the things that I, I feel it um, helps you to, uh, to move on is consistency. Your product should be consistent. What you provide today should be the same tomorrow rather than changing or changing tests because people will come back to say, well, this test different from the one that I tested before. Mm. As well as your branding itself, let's not change. You don't have to change it now and then. Consistency should be there. And obviously, the benefits that the product that it has, let people know. When people know about the benefits, obviously, they'll go for that product. So, but my main issue is consistency and, you know, not changing today or something else tomorrow. You, you put a different ingredient. Yeah. That's, that, that's the way I, I, I look at it. And the retailers demand it too, because I mean, without consistency of taste and size and volume, delivery frequency, all the things you talk about, you're not going to get onto supermarket shelves or major retailer shelves. And all of that takes planning. Exactly. Yes. Both the jam product and the oil product, obviously both very different and yet clearly the same brand and clearly conveying the same qualities, which are those that you've thought very hard about that you want to get across, which is the nutritional value and the organic side of things. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Finding those own pieces of authenticity and those own differentiators, is that a process that you went through quite systematically? Um, that, that one is done, it's been done systematically because, um, you know, like in Malawi, it, you rarely find a papaya jam in the shops. So it's a unique product. And then, you know, before I started producing that jam, I went into, I seeked information, I checked for information on what benefits with that product. So I realized that there's a lot of nutrients in it. That's why also the branding comes in. The same thing about sunflower cooking oil, they are very, you rarely see sun, pure sunflower cooking oil around. So I also, before I ventured into it, I also looked at the benefits of it. And then I saw that there's a lot of nutri nutritional benefits in them. That's why I came up with the NutriSecret uh, branding name to my product. And why I gave that branding name is people should know the product, the product that they are buying. Mm. So if they want the secret of, of, of uh, nutrition, yes, they should go for my product. And the point is... You're talking about benefits, not features. I mean, so many people stack their marketing materials, website sales, promotions with features as opposed to actual, unique, differentiating benefits that resonate with the customer. I mean, you're selling health, nutrition, wellness, your own trustworthiness. You're not selling oil and you're not selling jam. And that is not only giving you a differentiator and a clear brand identity, it is, if you can defend it, protecting you from competitive threats as well. I mean, I'm interested, have you thought about any kind of visual shape or quality mark to your product that will protect you from fakes or somebody claiming their product to be exactly the same as yours when it isn't? Is that something that you expect? to see or that you'll need to tackle? Yeah, 
I've seen that and I think it's something that I need to think about. I think it's a very important point that probably maybe I've overlooked, but then I need to think about it to say what what feature can I put so that it, my products are like protected. So it's a point that I've taken, I'll, I'll, I'll have to work on that. Uh, another way a lot of food producers do this is to use shape or color or a distinct sign that keeps direct copies at bay. I mean, anybody in Scotland will recognize a fake tunnock tea cake if somebody dares to put it in front of them. Um, I mean, and of course, another way is to actually have your face or your signature or your name really prominent on the packaging and the brand. How do you feel about making personal brand and personal identity very, very visible? Other business women can use their personal brands, personal identities and values or purpose for their competitive advantages as customers let their, the owner and the business right away. The moment customers see the personal brands, they relate and get encouraged to support or buy the products. Most businesses are dominated by men. If the if the woman use personal brands or identities, that is part of publicity that women also can do and are able, hence lead to competitive advantage. And how much do you see potentially as you go forward, you being a key part of that brand? Have you been thinking about your own personal place in this brand story? How much is this about you, the farmer? Purpose or personal values and brand are very important to to build more a visible and successful business. This helps your customers know why you exist and why you're doing what you're doing. They show what you value what you value when you when you're doing your business women who are succeeding in business should try to be more visible to encourage others because they are like a light to other women in business they provide the confidence that it's possible for a woman to be successful in business they show that women can oh absolutely be ready to see andrina maxwell's mark or brand son. That's good fighting talk, Andrina. I can't wait. I'm very mindful of your time and we're nearly through the episode, but I feel that in, in, in the time that you know I've spent working with you and with, with the businesses in Malawi, I was struck that as entrepreneurs and as small businesses, we have an awful lot more similarities in the challenges that we're facing than the differences. I mean, there are differences and, and the corruption and, and some of the challenges that you face in terms of access to capital are, are, are massive. Yeah. But um, I personally was struck by how many of the same business problems we're all wrestling with at the same time. Are there any one or two things that you've learnt having done this, having with your background education in finance and stuff that you would like to advise other entrepreneurs really to either think about at the very beginning or think about as they start to grow their business because it will help them get things right? My first thing that I, uh, I can say to my fellow entrepreneurs is before they do their, their entrepreneurship, they need to ask themselves why they're doing it. 
So when they have an answer to why they're doing it, then they should also tell ask themselves how to how how are they going to do it and where do they want to to get to? Because if they have these questions, probably then they, their business will grow. But if you just venture into any business just because your friend is doing it, definitely you won't make it. So you should really understand why you're doing it. And then when you know that, then you move on. And they should seek information about the business that they are doing. Because if you don't understand uh, more about the business that you're doing, you end up not getting where you want to get to. So that's mm -hmm. a big advice that I can give to my fellow entrepreneurs. But you should always focus, plan, have goals, wish to, uh, where you want to get to. So that's the that's the advice that I can give wow. to my fellow entrepreneurs. That's pretty profound advice. Purpose, focus, and know your customer and your market and your ecosystem inside out. Um, I think I've made all of those mistakes at different times of thinking I've had them and not necessarily. Yeah, that's very true. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You've been listening to Vicky Brock and Andrina Maxwell, this week's Entrepreneur Agniance. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and get all the back episodes at entrepreneuragniant.com.